Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Going Postal Cast. This is Incarceration, episode 18. We are just moving right through all of these incarceration episodes. We are getting well into the second half of the book, moving right along, all kinds of interesting things happening. And we're going to have another chapter today. It is the third single chapter in a row that we've done. This one's going to be the longest of the trio. And then next week we get back to multiple chapters per episode. So a few updates to go over. I'm going to start with Daddy's Little Girl. Literally within the last 20 minutes before I'm recording this, I finished the third draft for it. That's a major accomplishment and gets me one step closer to having it ready for print. And so now that I'm this close, there's going to be additional details about the story that's going to be coming out within the next few weeks. I'll be able to give you a better idea of what the length of it's going to be, what kind of format and what kind of pricing you can be expecting on both the trade paperback as well as the ebook formats. And hopefully once this is done, I can give you a definitive date on when I'm going to set it free, send it out to the wild, send it to the public for consumption. Man, that just sounded creepy. Kind of like it. So continue to check out the podcast for additional updates about Daddy's Little Girl as well as the website in which I'm going to be posting some details And there's even going to be probably a YouTube video that I'm going to be throwing out there as soon as it becomes, as soon as the next step is taken care of. And now after a little bit of tweaking, I should be able to at least start the process of doing the audiobook. And doing the audiobook means that I'm going to be getting the files together for the next story that will be available on the podcast. And now I'm going to get some extra time to be working on the next story I want to write. I've mentioned in the past that I want to write the third book, the second book after incarceration, that I want to get done. I have it all written out in my mind, now I just have to put it onto a onto a computer, onto a word processor. And to do that, I need more than just this computer that I'm recording this on, because I barely get any time on this thing. It's kind of amazing how... You know, when I used to have computers back when I first started out, back this would be like the early 1990s. You'd have a computer in the house and you barely touch it. The family would sit there and kind of go peck on it once in a while, maybe try to play a blocky game, or maybe try, try to type out some homework and print out on that ribbon paper and everything was all dotty because it was that dot matrix printer. But literally nowadays, you need like three or four computers in a house to be able to get by. And that's kind of sad. It's weird the the way we've all become dependent on more technology as we've gotten older and as technology has advanced. But literally, my kids, 
they use computers for doing spelling words and homework and researching things and plus just having fun. They play like Minecraft and other games that you can do online and it's become a just big deal. And so now without having the second computer in the house and even with an iPad it's still just not enough. And that ends up being my rant for the week. I was going to rant about the IRS a little bit and the way their tax rules that they've changed, but I'm going to save that for a different time. Or maybe I'll cool down by the time the next episode rolls around. The last thing I want to do is anger some kind of IRS agent and end up having my entire life gone over with a fine-tooth comb. That wouldn't be smart. But that's enough of my rambling covered a few things, and now I kind of want to get into the story. So here it is, episode 18 of Incarceration. Chapter 33 Rick Carlson didn't like what he was doing, but believed that he had little choice. He'd been in prison for 18 years, had already lost one daughter to the state, and had never met another daughter. He hadn't even known she existed until three months ago. He discovered his daughter in the strangest of ways, another inmate. Everybody believed he was dead, including a prisoner who entered Lipsky Swamp after killing two teenagers in a robbery gone wrong. When Rick met the man, he asked if he was the Rick Carlson who dated Rebecca Niemi and then killed his wife. He was the Rick. He informed Rick that he had dated her as well and of the child he never knew saying that she was almost 18 years old and getting ready to go to college. He dated her because his wife hadn't been the only one concealing a secret. He had a woman on the side, just as she had a man. The only difference was that he'd waited until he discovered her secret and became sure that the marriage was over before he did anything. Also, he hadn't been the one who lost custody of their daughter to social services. Why hadn't Rebecca told him about their daughter? He suspected that it was due to the fact that he was on trial for the murder of his wife shortly after the conception. Rebecca might not have even known until after his conviction and decided against telling him. He'd been fortunate in his sentencing. The jury had acquitted him of most of the charges against him due to the nature of why he had snapped and killed his wife. Maybe they'd sympathize with him. It didn't hurt that nine of the twelve members of the jury were men. He was sure that helped. He was sentenced to 30 years with a chance for parole at 15. The parole hearings came right on time at year 15, but nobody had ever received parole after staying in Lipsky Swamp, mostly because he was supposed to be dead. It wasn't as if it would have mattered either way. It wasn't like he would have been able to be part of his daughter's life. He was in prison. Not only was he in prison, he was in THE prison. This was the prison they sent you when they wanted you to disappear. They'd succeeded for all these years, and would probably keep succeeding until he died one way or another. Maybe knowing about her would have made a difference after all. Now that he thought about it, as he and six others walked through the prison towards the corpse of a CO, he might have been able to get parole the last time he was up for it. He slapped himself in the side of the head, drawing the attention of one of the COs. How could he be so stupid? Nobody gets parole out of Lipsky Swamp. The state doesn't want people with the knowledge of their best-kept secret walking around. They were very good at keeping their secrets a secret. 
that wasn't about to change and he knew it. He was well aware that Warden Yamri had no intention of actually letting him leave on parole. He had no doubt that the warden would keep his word and give a good word at the hearing. No matter what he did, it would still lead with the same result. No. All he was good for was slave labor. That's what he was doing now. He was saving the warden's ass in his darkest hour. Their corpse recovery group consisted of four other prisoners that he knew slightly. He knew their first names, but didn't know any of their last names. He saw John, Chris, Mark, and Phil. He believed that he was in good company. Mark and John were men you didn't want to piss off. They were men that took their business seriously and did what they had to, no matter the cost. They were in a part of the prison that he'd never seen before. It was dark, void of all light. One of the COs had a flashlight in the hand that wasn't carrying the rifle. He scanned the scene as they moved deeper into the prison and deeper into the darkness. They came to a set of double doors. One of the COs motioned for Chris to push his way through. He shot the CO a nasty look. I'd do what you're told, the CO said, lifting the gun so Rick could get a better look at it. Chris shook his head, then pushed through the door slowly. He was moving slowly, stepping through carefully. Rick followed closely behind him, with the others close behind. They passed through the doors and came to a large, dark room. The light was nearly completely gone from the day, leaving very little light coming through the small windows. It was difficult to see anything that was more than 20 feet in front of them or that wasn't in the path of the flashlight. Apparently there was no power running to this part of the prison. Rick couldn't see the body and was about to say something when Chris spoke. I sees the body over there, Chris said in his southern drawl. Rick looked to where Chris was pointing. In the back of the room, just off to their right, was the body of a CO that Rick had seen numerous times before. He recognized most COs, but rarely knew their names. Like with other inmates, he never really took the time to learn other names. He considered it too personal. They were in prison, not some place where they needed to hold hands and sing campfire songs. This CO wasn't one of his favorites. In fact, he was a fucking bastard that was downright awful to many of the prisoners. He got what was coming to him. It was John that went to the body first. He knelt down to examine him. The flashlight's beam shone briefly on the body. As soon as it had, John jumped back to his feet and stepped back quickly. He doesn't have a fucking throat, John said, sounding like a man that had seen the Grim Reaper. He was panicking. His throat is gone! John's words echoed in Rick's mind. There was something familiar about those words. He moved closer to the body, passing John as he did. He looked down at the body and felt the stomach tighten. What he saw made all the food he'd eaten in the last week want to come back up at the same time. He covered his mouth with the palm of his hand, willing himself not to vomit. John was absolutely right. The throat was missing. Instead, Rick saw strands of skin, tendons, and bone in a bloody hole. Much of the blood had started drying, but plenty of wet blood remained. He'd seen many dead bodies in his lifetime, starting with that of his wife and ending with the dozens since he'd come to prison. Yet he couldn't help but feel sickened by what he saw here. The missing throat was unlike anything he'd ever seen, and now he wanted to be as far away from it as he could. As he stepped back, Phil moved forward. Good, he thought. 
wanting somebody else to have the responsibility of taking care of the body until he could regain his composure. Rick was thankful that the last of the light was leaving the day. Even with the flashlight shining directly on the body, it was getting harder to see. He became hopeful that he wouldn't have to see the bloody tendons much longer. His mind returned to the familiarity of the situation. He'd been told about something almost exactly like this. It didn't take much to realize exactly where he'd heard it before. After all, he'd heard it numerous times for 15 years because the man that said it was his roommate. Jason Rangel had told him that his parents had died because of somebody cutting out their throats. Looking down at the corpse lying before him, he saw in Jason's past life for the first time. It scared him. What do you want us to do with him? Phil asked one of the CEOs as he knelt next to the corpse. Nobody brought a stretcher. The five of you are going to haul him out of here, the taller of the CEOs said. I don't really give a shit how you do it, but you better hurry up. The warren told us to be quick about it. They're keeping everybody out in the yard until we've returned. What was that? Mark asked. He was standing off to their right. He stared into the darkness, standing as if he feared whatever it was that was beyond his view. What are you talking about? The other CO asked. I heard something, Mark told him. It sounded like footsteps. Something kicked a stone. I know I heard it. You probably heard a rat the first CO said. Let's get Clarence's body out of here. This old place gives me the creeps. Rick moved forward, trying not to look directly at the corpse. The others moved around, each grabbing hold of a different part of Clarence. Rick held him by his forearm and flinched when he felt how cold and clammy Clarence's skin was in his hand. Why did I volunteer for this shit? They lifted Clarence's body into the air. He was lighter than Rick had thought he would be. He glanced around, noticing that their CEOs had raised their guns and were pointing them straight towards them. It was obvious that they weren't taking any chances, even when their hands were full. Something moved in Rick's hand. For a brief moment, he wondered if Clarence had just had a muscle spasm. That was impossible. In his former life, he wasn't a doctor. But he knew that bodies didn't have muscle spasms this long after being dead. Maybe up to an hour, But if he went missing over 12 hours ago, and was this cold, he'd been dead a very long time. Did any of you feel that? Chris asked, looking at Rick with eyes that were as large as silver dollars. Rick stopped, feeling the body pull against his grip as the others continued moving. They soon stopped, looking at him with questioning expressions on each of their faces. They all wanted to know what was going on. Rick had no clue, but whatever it was, it couldn't be good. Why have you stopped? The larger CO asked. We have to get out of here quickly. Rick didn't know how to answer, and the others weren't about to. Rick had felt the muscle spasm. He was sure that Chris, at least, had felt it too. They were afraid to say much of anything, especially in front of the COs. Each of them, including Rick, had lost friends in this place because of a CO putting a few rounds into them. None of them wanted to become the next casualty. Rick released the body and walked towards the CO. The others continued holding the body up as he confronted the guards. Rick opened his mouth to say something, but never got the chance. As his mouth stood open, he saw the expressions of both COs change. They stared over his shoulder, back in the direction of his fellow inmates in the corpse. They had the look of men who were horrified by what they saw.
Suddenly curious, Rick turned around, expecting to see one of the inmates having done something ridiculously stupid. What he saw nearly stopped his heart. The men dropped Clarence's body. He landed with a sickening thud against the concrete floor. That didn't stop the body from moving. Clarence's arms moved back and forth, grasping out for something that wasn't there. Not being left out of the action, the legs also moved as if they were kicking at something. What the fuck is this? Phil asked as he took a few steps back. He was talking to the CEO, but his eyes never left Clarence. Is this some kind of a fucking joke? This dude's alive. It wasn't a joke. It was far from a joke. Clarence was dead. There was no doubt in Rick's mind. He'd seen the body and the missing throat. He'd also touched that skin, feeling the clammy cold. The man had been dead for several hours and was now moving. This wasn't a muscle spasm. Clarence was moving as if he hadn't been dead in the first place. Rick couldn't tell what Clarence was trying to do. He looked like a fish out of water. He flopped around trying to get his hands underneath him. After a few seconds, he succeeded. He pressed himself onto his knees, then got his right foot underneath him, followed by the left. Clarence Hongisto, a dead man, was now standing. His back was to the group. He turned around slowly, facing them with closed eyes. They opened slowly, showing glazed-over pupils. Rick's eyes focused on the throat. The strands of tendon moved back and forth as the neck moved. Then something miraculous happened, as strange as anything he could have ever imagined. It was like something out of an old horror movie. The neck was healing itself. The skin stretched out, inching over the open wound. Severed tendons repaired themselves as the skin reformed over them. Within seconds, all that remained was a scar where the hole had been. Holy shit, the shorter CO said. Clarence, you all right, buddy? Clarence stared forward but didn't respond. His eyes moved right, then left. He looked at each person slowly and only for a short amount of time. He moved like a man who is drunk. His mouth opened slowly, revealing teeth that were growing rapidly. They were sharp and moved out over his lips. What in the hell is going on here? Rick asked himself. The taller CO moved forward, passing the others. His gun was no longer pointing at the prisoners. It was now pointed towards the floor. As he approached Clarence, his left hand moved out, ready to be placed on Clarence's left shoulder. I don't know what happened, but... were all the words he said before Clarence attacked. Clarence's mouth opened wide, slicing down onto the taller CO's hand. Blood sprayed out, covering Clarence's face in a crimson mist. The taller CO screamed out in surprise, trying to get his hand free from Clarence's mouth. He pulled hard, leaning backwards to get his weight into it. There was a ripping sound, like ripping a paper bag apart, and then he was free. He dropped to his knees as the gun dropped to the ground with a clack. He cradled what was left of his left hand, which wasn't much, in his right. He looked up at Clarence in surprise. This all happened in less than ten seconds. Nobody moved a muscle. Nobody could. They all stared, shocked at what they were seeing. Rick was as shocked as anybody, having never seen anything like this. It was so unreal that his mind refused to process what he was seeing. The shorter CO, in an effort to help his friend, raised his gun and pumped three rounds into Clarence's chest. 
Clarence fell to the ground, landing in a spread eagle. The shorter CO then went to the taller man and tried to help him. He ripped off a piece of his shirt and started wrapping it around the wound. The taller man kept shaking his head frantically, mumbling incoherent words. Rick thought that it sounded like, Words in my head, they won't stop. What was that supposed to mean? He guessed that the taller CO was going through shock after having some of his hand bitten off by another CO who was supposed to be dead. Mark was the first man to gain some sense. He ran away from the scene, heading out into the darkness. He was out of sight for less than five seconds when he screamed. Rick turned to see what was going on. Mark was coming back. His hand covered the same spot on the throat that they'd just seen a hole in Clarence's. Blood gushed from behind the hands, running down his uniform. Blood also poured from his mouth as he attempted to speak. His words came out in a garbled mess that was impossible to understand. He stared ahead with eyes that didn't seem to be seeing anything. He dropped to his knees and placed his hands on the floor, revealing a large hole where his throat should have been. It looked exactly the same way that Clarence's had just minutes earlier. He took one last look forward, his eyes meeting with Rick's, before he fell face first to the floor and moved no more. Something was happening, something bad. Rick looked around, trying to make out what had happened to Mark. There was something in the shadows moving around slowly. He couldn't make out what it was, but it looked human. Somebody was trying to kill them. And for some reason, Clarence Hangisto was in on it. Rick looked back towards the two COs. As he did, his heart sunk. Clarence was trying once more to get back to his feet. Neither CO saw what was happening behind them. He thought about calling out to them, but thought better of it. Either one of them would have left the inmates to die if given the chance. This was a chance for the prisoners to get out while there was still a chance. He saw something that might prove useful in their defense. It was the taller man's weapon. It lied on the floor a few feet away from where they knelt. He looked back to Clarence and saw that he was almost completely back to his feet. He had to time it just right. He started running, passing Chris as he did. He ducked down and grabbed hold of the gun as he kept running. He fumbled it in his hands, nearly losing it, but managed to gain control. He turned, ready to fire on whoever was in his way. He was surprised when the COs hadn't noticed him. They'd both realized that Clarence was back on his feet and moving towards them. The shorter man stood and fired the rest of his clip into Clarence. At least two bullets hit him in the face. Blood and bone sprayed out as the bullets destroyed everything they touched. Clarence fell to the ground once more, but still moved. The man wouldn't die. The CO switched clips and aimed his weapon at Clarence again. The taller CO, now by himself on the floor, continued to babble incoherently as his hands, including the bad one, rested on each side of his face. He shook as if he were trying to get something out. Rick raised his gun, pointing at the man's head. He considered putting this man out of the misery he was obviously suffering. No. He couldn't do that. His murdering days were over. This man would likely survive even if he looked as if he were going mad. There was no point in putting down this horse. It would prove to be a big mistake for the shorter man. The taller man stood up and approached his partner. He opened his mouth and bit down on the back of the shorter man's neck. He screamed in pain, taking his eyes off Clarence. 
He turned to see his partner, and fear blazed across his face. It was as if he didn't recognize the man he was looking at anymore. Somebody's coming, Chris called out. Forgetting the horror before him, Rick turned. He tried to see where Chris was looking. He followed Chris's eyes to the back of the room, where two figures were approaching out of the darkness. Rick didn't need the light to see that these two figures weren't human. At least not anymore. They walked hunched over, with eyes that gleamed green like deer in the headlights. As they left the shadows, their teeth became visible in the small amount of light that the fallen flashlight produced. Fear gripped Rick. Everything he'd once known in his 39 years on the planet meant nothing at the moment. It was as if reality as he'd known it had changed completely, becoming something he'd never dreamt of. Rick lifted the gun and fired until it clicked. Several shots hit each of the figures in the head, exactly where he was aiming. He was relieved to find that he still had a good aim after 18 years in prison. Unfortunately, the bullets did little to slow them. He dropped the gun and ran to Chris. He grabbed hold of Chris's arm and said, Let's get out of here. They ran to the exit. As they made it to the door, he turned to figure out where Phil and John were. It took a few seconds, but he found them. Two other figures had appeared out of the darkness and were attacking them. John was holding his throat while Phil was already lying face down on the ground. A pool of blood spread around him. What exactly had happened? This was supposed to be a rescue mission, not a one-way ticket to death. He turned his attention back to Chris. He got the door open and was on his way through. Rick started to follow but stopped. Chris ran directly into another one of whatever these things were. This one had long, greasy hair and strange red eyes. He wasn't human. He was something far worse. Chris stood there, looking at this creature. By the look of things, he was too scared to move. The creature moved forward, grabbing hold of Chris by the throat. Rick watched, expecting the creature to take a bite out of Chris's throat. That never happened. Instead, all he did was move his wrist. Rick heard something snap like dry wood. Chris's head fell to the side, drooping at a strange angle. The creature dropped him. He fell to the floor. Chris was dead. Rick stood where he was, looking over the situation. He was in a whole lot of trouble. He was alone with these things, whatever they were. One CO was dead. The other had gone crazy and killed him and each of the four men that he'd come in with was bloody and dying. With all of the carnage, he realized that his time was only a matter of seconds away. He looked down briefly at his weapon. It was empty. He'd fired everything into the heads of two of those damn creatures that had been coming his way. He glanced over his shoulder. He wasn't at all surprised to see that they were still coming. He'd never heard of somebody being shot in the head and act as if nothing happened. If these things weren't human, what were they? He moved out into the corridor with the gun held in his hands like a baseball bat. He intended on swinging for a home run the first chance he got. That took all of five seconds as the creature that broke Chris's neck moved into his path. Rick closed his eyes and swung the gun as hard as he could. His hands vibrated as the gun struck the creature. He opened his eyes, expecting to see the creature on the floor. The creature was standing exactly where he'd been previously, his nose slightly askew.
The gun had shattered, becoming chunks of metal on the floor. He ran to his left, then cut back sharply. He hoped the quick moves would confuse the creature, allowing him to get by. The creature only looked at him, allowing him by. Rick was in the open, running down the corridor as fast as he could. He was free. He was going to make it. Something dug into his back, causing a numbing pain that was unbearable. He stopped running and turned. The creature was on him and had sunk his teeth into his back. Rick reached back, trying to force the beast's lips apart. He moved his hand into position, digging into its lips. He grimaced and immediately retracted his hands. He stared at his fingers, or more specifically, what was left of them. His fingers looked tattered and bloody, as if something had gone to work on them with razor blades. This wasn't good. He heard strange words in his mind, faint at first but growing louder. He finally understood what the CO had been talking about. He'd been screaming because of the words that these creatures implanted into his mind. Clarence had been one of the creatures all along. The words were hard to understand at first, but they continued growing louder. His body gradually lost strength as the words continued gaining volume and taking over his brain like an insurgent's. He tried to move his hands, but found that they only moved a little. He was losing control of his own body. The words became clear, filling his mind with images that were frightening yet welcoming. He saw what his life would become. He saw freedom that this prison had taken from him for all these years. He saw Jason Rangel, his friend. No, that wasn't quite right. He wasn't a friend. No, not at all. He was one of them, whatever that was supposed to mean. Jason wasn't like Rick anymore, and for that he would have to pay dearly. He also saw an old man, the one that had been asking about Jason for the last few days. He was their true enemy. This man had to die very soon. Lastly, he saw himself. He saw himself as a mighty being, almost godlike. He liked that feeling. Power was good. Then a realization struck him that he hadn't prepared for. All these images and thoughts weren't his own. The three words that repeated themselves constantly in his mind were proof of that. They told him that death has come. The voices were absolutely right. He was dying. He'd seen what happened to the CO after being bit. His body would live, but he wouldn't. The realization was more powerful than the thoughts the bite had created. He managed to do one more thing before he became no more. Rick Carlson screamed as he disappeared into a sea of darkness forever. So there you have it. That was an entire chapter about Rick Carlson, Jason Rangel's roommate of the last 16 years. Well, I guess by now it's kind of former roommate. So let's get this episode over with. Let's talk about all the different things that you can follow. Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. The website is goingpostalpublishing.com. You can email me your questions, comments, and even your cheap shots at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. You can also check out a promo and rambling free version of Incarceration 
by just searching for incarceration on iTunes and then look for the podcast that just says incarceration. I only have two episodes up right now, but I will be adding more more frequently than I do this own show. And I will be doing that until we are caught up, and then I will be posting new episodes along with this. It's a great way of avoiding the rambling, and another great way to avoid the promos like Amazon. While you're checking out GoingPostalPublishing.com, click on the Amazon banner. Go to Amazon and buy anything that you are going to buy anyway. You just buy a few things, and for everything that you buy, for every dollar that you spend, a couple of pennies, come to Going Postal Publishing and help out. I think I made a joke a few weeks ago about it helping paying from feeding my 52 children. Well, no, it actually just goes right back into the podcast, right back into the technology, like right now, working on getting that new laptop. And after the laptop, I would like to get a better microphone that's better with noise cancellation, so I don't have to hear these loud trucks that are outside my house right now making all kinds of noise. But that does it for this episode, so I'm going to get out of here, and I want to see you all next week. Or at least I'm going to speak, and you're going to hear me. So until next time, take care. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.